Welcome to episode 13 of the Vibrant You Health Show with Dr. Henry Ely. Dr. Ely is the founder and director of the Energetic Health Institute. He holds a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and is board certified in holistic nutrition. He has over 20 years of teaching and clinical experience helping people heal with natural medicines. You can watch this and all episodes of VYHS on our website along with a list of resources mentioned in this episode. Just go to naturespantry.life slash e13 dash doctor dr dash henry h-e-n-r-y dash ely e-a-l-y. Now on to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Vibrant You Health Show, episode 13. I am honored and privileged to have my guest here with me today, Dr. Henry Ely. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Blake, thanks for having me today. It's good to be here. All right, Dr. Ely. So um, I want, can you tell me and my audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, sure. Well, I am the uh, founder of the Energetic Health Institute, um, uh, where we really specialize in teaching people how to remain vibrant themselves uh, with uh, our, our flagship program is our board certification. Well, it's a certification in holistic nutrition that enables someone to become board certified as a professional nutritionist. Um, as it pertains to the topic of our time right now, uh, uh, we, uh, I, I, I started out as a data analyst years ago. I, I have a degree in mechanical engineering and, uh, and after I graduated from uh, UCLA, I got into uh, database development, data analyst, and, and data um, uh, became a data analyst for uh, the uh, 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 International Space Station. So, oh, wow. um, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and it sounds a little more glamorous than it was, but it was, you know, it was a start. And I, I learned some things about how to really bring data together and understand it and, you know, um, so that you can start using it to guide future decisions, right? Now that's what data is supposed to be about, guiding future decisions. Right. So uh, we've been really concerned about the, um, the medical landscape and the appearance that a lot of medicine is becoming more religious than scientific. You know, uh, we hear a lot of people uh, in medicine saying, I believe this and I believe that. Well, whenever you say, I believe, it's a statement of faith. And mm -hmm. faith is usually the domain of, of religion. Um, it, they're not saying I can prove this and I can prove that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I listen for when I hear our elected officials and our um, uh, the people who are commenting on on this topic of COVID. Of course, what I'm talking about is it's mm -hmm. always I believe, I believe, I believe, or I think, I think. Yeah. And it's like that's that's not science. Science yeah. is I can prove, right. I can prove, I can prove, and here's right. my evidence, and here can, you can verify my evidence, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, we, we've been, we were seeing this becoming a problem, you know, um, my, my son was born in 20, uh, 2005, and um, I got really educated as a future parent on, on vaccines, because it wasn't really a relevant topic until, and that's the thing, it's not a relevant topic for a lot of people, well, until now, now it's a relevant topic for everyone, but previously it wasn't a relevant topic until a person became a parent, right, right. and then it became a very immediately relevant topic, so I was really dismayed by the lack of science in, um, in the vaccine industry and the lack of regulation in the vaccine industry and the lack of transparency in the vaccine industry in the process. 
Um, I, uh, you know, when my son was born, he was born in a hospital. We had a full birth plan uh, that we went over with the entire team, letting them know we, we were declining respectfully all inoculations, especially the Hep B, uh, which, um, you know, there's no, there was no justification in my opinion for it. So we said, look, we're going to wait. We're going to wait till his immune system is established at, at 24 months, and then we'll, we'll revisit this topic. But there's no point in our minds of giving a, a baby whose immune system isn't prepared to develop antibodies. Yeah. Um, yeah, doc, I had Dr. Brian Artis on the show, right. and he was talking about the Hep B vaccine and how um, its, its effectiveness is for about 12 years. And the way you get Hep B is from um, sex and hard drugs, like right. shooting up hard drugs. So right. you didn't really see why you would give a baby uh, that right at birth when they're probably not likely to have sex and do hard drugs. Right. Yeah. Right my, my, yeah. My, my baby wasn't going out to go on a bender, you know, after birth. So, uh, so we, you know, so we respectfully declined it. What was, but what was interesting is in that after my son was turned to his mother, you know, to see how she was doing and they had already when it, by the time I turned around, there was already a needle in him. And I was livid, you know, I was like, what are you doing? We declined everything. Luckily, they only got one needle in him. And luckily, it was the vitamin K um, shot and not one of those other ones. And I and I got us out of the hospital as quickly as I could, you know, and I and I went off on the doctor and the nurse and everything, because they thought that they knew more than me. And I was a, I was I wasn't a doctor yet at that time. But I was a, a I was about to graduate from medical school. And I was just like, you know, look, you're not talking to some novice that hasn't done his homework. And it doesn't matter if you are. Every person has rights, a right to decide, especially for our offspring, what goes into their bodies, right? And it was just like, so I, you could see these violations. And so ultimately that, that was a very eye-opening experience for me. Um, and it let me know that if that's happening to me, it's happening to virtually everybody out there, which is terrible. When was that, that your son was born? 2005. So, so um, I, started, I, I started doing a lot more research on vaccines and the industry. And we, it culminated in a course that we teach at the Energetic Health Institute. Um, uh, we teach a vaccine education course on there that's based exclusively on data from the CDC, the FDA, vaccine manufacturers, and so forth. Just saying, look, this is the information that's out there. We don't need to sensationalize it, right? Hmm. So this, um, so uh, we we were concerned when when, when this uh, virus uh, um, was uh, came to our awareness, let's say, right? Um, and one of the things I was really concerned with was that uh, we weren't hearing basic logical advice being given to people. Like um, we were we were hearing everybody that's healthy needs to quarantine. Okay, well, that's never happened in human history. That's, that was very concerning. Uh, we were um, hearing uh, that, you know, you have to stay six feet apart. And there was a, at the beginning, there was a debate on whether to wear a mask or not, but there was no guidance on nutrition. There was no guidance on vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin A, uh, vitamin E, zinc. There was no guidance on the things that we already knew Americans were by and large deficient in. Holistic health sunshine fresh air water you know mental spiritual health um you know stress anxiety you know like right. uh physical exercise right there was, um, it was like do the opposite of the things that are good for you like like let's just go go hide in a hole let your immune system tank and then eventually we'll save you with a pharmaceutical intervention 
Exactly, exactly. You, you nailed it right there. And, it, and so what I started doing was I started doing data analysts. Uh, I, I you know, dusted off my old uh, data analyst brain and, and started going in and, and pulling all the data from South Korea and from Italy, which was the most accurate data we could find. And, and South Korea and Italy were a few weeks ahead of us. So on March 12th of last year, I started tracking everything for every for these for United States and these two countries. We got models built up showing um, the rise and fall, uh, the bell curve of new cases, new hospitalizations, and new deaths on a daily basis, which gave us an understanding of what we could expect in the United States. Um, in South Korea and in Italy, the bell curve for all three of those, um, and it, it tracked it tracked really accurately was um, uh, about 50 days, you know, that we were gonna have about a 50 days rise and fall. And so uh, since we were in the United States, we're a few weeks behind those two countries, we saw our curve taking on the exact same shapes that theirs did, right? And then we saw the fall start to happen um, right, uh, right before um, April 1st. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I was talking to people about this saying, and you know, I was doing public service announcements, hey, this is, this is, tracking just the way with nothing to be afraid of. Let's, let's calm down, let's get information and let's make inf decisions from information, not fear, right? Right. Um, well, then something happened to our data. On, um, on April uh, 14th, we saw a second bump in the data curves and in, in the data curve for cases only. So we saw cases start re-rising. We hadn't seen this in any other country. So I went and checked other countries beyond um, beyond Italy and beyond uh, South Korea. And we didn't see that same secondary bump happening. We were the only country where a secondary bump happened in, um, in case rise. And so I said, well, what? That's, that's ridiculous. That's for us to be that anomaly. It's not impossible, but that is so unlikely. Why did that happen? That became the question for us. Why did that happen? Was this really an infection and, and really a secondary bump was did we do something wrong in policy what happened so we were looking at all these areas and we couldn't find it and then we stumbled upon a document um, the document was the council of state and territorial epidemiologists position paper on april 5th the council of state and territorial epidemiologists which is a nonprofit organization in this country published a position paper um, that defined what constituted a case, what constituted contact, talk, contact tracing, what constituted um, um, how to make sure that the same person couldn't be counted twice. And it was a very interesting document because the CDC provided four subject matter experts for this document. So we're looking at this document and they said a case could be somebody who has something as simple as a single <coughs> cough could be listed as COVID. Whoa, okay, that's crazy in medicine. Um, or that that's illogical, I won't say crazy, that's illogical in medicine. Um, it, that it laid out contact tracing and how contact tracing would be done so that if somebody coughed once and was diagnosed as COVID, any person they were around could also be diagnosed as COVID too. And it was like, well, wait a minute, that is, an incredible leap. There's no empirical evidence to substantiate that. And then we said, you know, remember at the time people to go back to work, you had to get a negative test. So it was like, you had to like, people would go in to go back to work and get tested seven, eight, nine times, right? Well, right. each time that th that person tested positive before they get to their negative, it was being counted okay. as a new case because well, this, this document specifically said 
there is no methodology for making sure a person can't be counted more than once. Right. And right. And it felt like, I'm sorry, it felt like um, to at some point, like we were starting to base all of our policy, policy decisions and our strategy, how we're going to deal with this and everything on what we thought might happen. Right. Like, right. like this asymptomatic, like we don't know, like maybe people can spread it asymptomatically and then we're just, it's just going to run rampant. And instead of like basing it on what we actually know, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, like if you are sick, if you have symptoms, stay home, you know, don't go around people, don't go around vulnerable people. Um, you know, and so it was like, we're basing, and it's like some of the policies I've heard from friends who work for bigger corporations, it was like, they were around a positive case. And even though they tested negative, they still had a quarantine for like 17 days or something. And it's like, well, wait, like that's, that's beyond the realm of like reality. Like what is the, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is people who don't have medical backgrounds and aren't steeped in a sense of ethics and logic are making decisions. You have people who are either making decisions based upon fear, and this we've seen this with a number of, of elected officials um, and a number of public health officials and a number of, of uh, businesses. And you have people who are making unethical decisions because they are not revealing that they've been financially incentivized to do so. And so I think there we have this collection of both of these things going on right now. Um, what what we what we can prove is that the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologist paper that the CDC adopted it, but they adopted it in violation of three important laws: the Administrative Procedures Act, the Paperwork Reduction Act, and the Information Quality Act. All of which. Um, are established to make sure a federal agency cannot publish um, fraudulent data, okay? Um, So we have processes in this country that when an agency wants to change the way they're recording data and analyzing data and publishing data, that two things have to happen. They, one, have to notify the Office of Management and Budget that they have a proposed change, and they do this by entering a um, request into the federal register. That was never done, okay? Um, and what that does when they enter something into the federal register, now there's oversight, federal oversight over this process so that um, you know if other federal agencies can ask questions and make sure they're doing the right thing, there can be some transparency. The, um, what it also does is it initiates a mandatory 30 to 60 day window for public comment so that scientists such as myself can say, hey, this is why you can't, you can't have this clause in there that says a person can be counted more than once. You have to have a methodology because right. so, what we can show is that by adopting this document, it hyperinflated the data. And as soon as you hyperinflate the data, now everything, all the public health policies that are based upon the data are now not steeped in science, they're steeped in belief. Mm-hmm you know, and that belief is false because that belief is, wants to assert that this is a much more significant issue than it is. Now, it's not to say it's not a significant issue. It's a significant issue for people who are over 60 with um, with pre-existing health conditions. That's, that's been, all the data bears that out. And we've known that since Italy and South Korea, we've known that since February and March of 2020, Mm -hmm. that situation hasn't changed. What's changed is that these folks that feel they have the authority to do so 
have um, said, we're going to take this approach that we think is good for the high risk, and we're going to consider everyone high risk. And that's just not steeped mm -hmm. in any semblance right. of reality or right. empirical evidence. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's not that there aren't outliers, there's always exceptions, but we're talking about what is most statistically happened, and that is people who are at risk, that's who we need to be focused on. I think it's Dr. Peter McCullough who talked about, he said he's been advocating for early prevention and treatment, early and aggressive treatment from the very beginning of this, um, even though he's been threatened, been um, censored and everything. And he said, to me, it's always made more sense to focus on the 1% or less of people who are really getting affected by this than to um, enforce draconian measures on 100% of people. Right. Um, and I was like, wow, that's pretty logical. So Dr. Dr. Um, Ely, tell me, um, so we skipped a little past the Energetic Health Institute, but, but let's touch on that maybe at the end. I, I wanna hear a little bit about that because it's really cool to me. But then, so we've gone a little bit into this and I, you made a good transition into this. So you are a medical doctor who- Naturopathic doctor. Naturopathic doctor who um, started to be concerned about some of the data early on. and. Mm -hmm. This is not what you do normally. You're normally um, um, leading out the Energetic Health Institute, right. um, which is a holistic nutrition institute, um, correct? Yes. And, and you started to see some things that just didn't quite make logical sense to you in our response to COVID. And so it, it, you were compelled to start digging into some of the data and starting to, on your own time, try to figure some of this out and, and start to speak out about it. Um, so you 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 um, you worked a little bit with Oregon for Medi Oregonians for medical freedom. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, we've 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 actually um, worked with a lot of organizations throughout the country. Oregonians for medical freedom being one of them. Um, I, I would like to also add in um, is that we have made um, repetitive attempts to collaborate with the Oregon Health Authority. Uh, to issue, to convince them to issue nutritional guidance for all Oregonians and really lead the country in this. And we have been, I've been in uh, conversations with them. Uh, I've been in um, expert forums with them. And uh, we've made, I have records of all the attempts we've made to, uh, to, sub to give substance and substantiate why we, we feel this would be a really good um, inclusion into this treatment portfolio or this this approach the the guidelines that they want to create and uh, we've been re, we've been ignored and rebuffed um you know for doing so and i, I it that again makes yeah. me very concerned right yeah that's one of the things here at nature's pantry that i've been really frustrated with lately is that um you know our voice is only so loud mm -hmm. and we want to let we want to get people up to a good nutritional status Mm -hmm. so that they are prepared as possible for this because we're seeing that critically ill patients are deficient in C, D, zinc, you know, um, with particularly with vitamin C and, and zinc, when you have an infection, your body's going to deplete those two um, vitamins and minerals very quickly in fighting something. So, yep. so you really need to be up on that. You need to be already. And, and the thing too, is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so Always if we're not, been. if we're not hitting this, you know, already before anything happens and getting our levels up and all of these important nutrients, all these diet and lifestyle things ahead of time, getting this information out there about how sugar 
it just destroys your immune system. High fructose corn syrup actually turns off vitamin D's ability to regulate your immune system. I mean, there's so much, so much out there, so much information. And so it's been really frustrating to me that we're trying to tell people this a lot, oftentimes when it's a little too late, when they should have been doing this, you know, months ago, even, you know, a year and a half ago, we should have been getting people doing this stuff. Sure. Um, and so it's really frustrating that, um, the billions of dollars in marketing that's been spent on this has not done one iota of good in that regard. It's only been, you know, there's nothing you can do other than sit in a hole and wait for a pharmaceutical intervention. I, so, let me let me add one thought on yeah. that because you're 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 spot on and and you're totally right to be frustrated because you know that there's something that does no harm and has every likelihood of helping and we don't see our tax dollars being used to promote those other options for people to help calm our society and reassure and get positive clinical benefit. Right. We know that less than we know that less than 10% of all cases, actual cases, cases where there is a positive test and symptoms, symptoms will result in hospitalization. That's good news. We know that um, we know that the recovery rates under 65 are 99.6% per CDC data. This is good news. We know the reinfection rate in a nine-month time frame is between 0.2% and 0.8%. And even in those studies, they've never definitively proven reinfection. Wow. Dr. Peter McCullough will say, and he's said this on record a lot, we have no clinic, we don't have one clinical confirmation of a definitive reinfection anywhere in the country wow. right now. And so when we look at all this and we know that the CDC knew that 65 to 95% of Americans were deficient in vitamin D, for example, right? Right. It makes sense that if we knew that going in, and this was about public health, that we would allocate at least some money to issuing nutritional guidance for all Americans, but especially in, in the state, Oregonians. So one of the things that I've been, what we've done is we've developed a website, uh, COVIDCon21, which is an event that we have uh, coming up, COVIDCon21.com, and we have free resources on this site. And one of those free resources that we have on the site is um, um, prevention and, uh, and early treatment, where we've pulled together a significant number of references uh, and lay out a a educational potential for what a person could discuss with their medical team as, uh, as what we call immune priming strategies. And we base all of this on the literature, this empirical evidence in the literature. And what one of the things that's been really important to me to get the word out, Blake, has been to all medical professionals, if you suspect that you have a patient who is, um, is COVID positive or is exhibiting symptoms of COVID, one of the most um, uh, one of the most important things we can do as medical professionals is test their vitamin D levels. If their vitamin D levels are below 50 nanograms per milliliter, it is a great likelihood that they are going to have a more severe symptomatic response and therefore be more prone to hospitalization and prolonged um, uh, trouble in dealing and overcoming the infection but that we also know that when a person is 50 nanograms per milliliter or higher, and this is clear in the empirical evidence, that when that happens, it is a virtual certainty that they are going to recover, recover quickly and recover without need of hospital intervention, all the things we're supposed to be aspiring yeah. to. Right. So that we aren't testing 
vitamin D upon every hospital admission, I think, is a part of this greater problem. But why aren't we? Because no one has been issued that guidance to do so, that this is an expect, expectation right. or standard of care. Well, well, yeah, and you're not um, seeing any... Well, for one, um, a lot of doctors and hospitals are basically threatened with their license if they don't fall in line. Um, and funding, right? And funding is a big piece of it. But also, there isn't... You can't patent vitamin D um, because it's a natural thing, right? So you can't patent nature. But what you can patent is remdesivir. And it's interesting that, just as an example, that ivermectin is being, um, you know, ridiculed and, and pulled and, and, you know, pharmacies won't fill it and doctors won't prescribe it. And the doctors that do prescribe it, it's hard to find a pharmacy that will fill it. People are having to buy it from their dang you know, farm and feed store, because, you know, even though it's, yes, it is a veterinary drug that's been used for years, but it's also a drug that's been used for humans for over 80 years. And it's been used for pregnant women, nursing mothers, babies. Um, and yet it's been, and it was on the World Health Organization's top safest and most important drugs. And I believe it won the Nobel Peace Prize or a Nobel Prize. The, 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 the uh, gentleman who, um, who discovered it? Yes, it, it, it it's it's basically it it's it, it's a, comes from a bacterium, so um, you know it's it's part of a good microbiome. You know, we, we just did a, a a talk that I think published this weekend on the America Out Loud um, platform. Uh, we have a radio show, Energetic Health uh, Radio. Uh, doc, we invited Dr. Sabine Hazen on, who is one who is easily a top five foremost expert on the microbiome in the world. Um, and we were very lucky to have her, and she did a great talk on ivermectin and and the safety of it. And uh, we, you know, we you can go to c c nineteen early dot com and get all of the cold um, clinical trials and randomized clinical trials on ivermectin that that overly show it the empirical evidence that this is safe and effective. It's not just safe. It's we don't have we don't you know I mean. I, you know, we keep talking about safety and effectiveness, and it's, it's always interesting to me how when something like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, right, um, it's, being, it's been used, it's been used in other countries successfully. I think it was, uh, I forget which country it was in South America, but they just started issuing a COVID packet to all their citizens with vitamin D, with ivermectin, with um, all kind of things in there that they know are going to help minimize the impact to, to their hospitals and things like that. Um, it's always interesting to me that you can hear and read the stories in India of, of using ivermectin and how it just wiped out COVID. And then here in this country, and supposedly the freest country in the world, um, pharmacist, a pharmacist who hasn't ever interacted with the uh, patient, the doctor, wasn't in the room when the doctor was taking the clinical history doesn't have nearly the same uh, medical acumen in terms of education, can receive a prescription for ivermectin and decide on the spot, I'm not going to fill this and have that right. That is, that is willful misconduct because now you're saying as a pharmacist, you know more than the doctor who was in the room with the patient. See, it, it ultimately, Blake, it comes down to right and wrong. You know, it's not a, a pharmacist's right. It's not a pharmaceutical companies, right? It's not a governor's right to tell a doctor and patient what to do 
in that situation. A patient has a right to decide, and we know this, when you go to every major medical association, including the AMA, there are published guidelines on what are called a patient's bill of rights. You can just Google this up. They're all over. Every organization has one, and it's very clear. The patient is in the position of power. The patient gets to decide what treatments they want to use and which they want to decline. The patient and the doctor relationship is a sacred relationship that must be preserved and not interfered with. If a patient decides to take ivermectin and it doesn't work, then we go to plan B. If a patient decides to decline ivermectin and says, let me try resdemivir, great because it was the patient after understanding the risks and benefits explained by the doctor that made the decision you are the president ceo of your body of your right. life right. but you're only going to be that if you take that power if you claim that power for yourself right. yeah 100 percent. and it's interesting too that ivermectin is not under patent anymore and it's about three dollars a treatment of course prices have gone up with the demand and the supply problems right. but um but then remdesivir, which is a drug that's getting pushed, um, is a drug that is under patent and is about $3,000 a treatment. Um, and according to Dr. Brian Artis and some documents he showed us from the CMS, Centers of Medicaid and Medicare Services, that um, hospitals are getting paid a 20% bonus when they use that drug, preferred drug. Um, but so, so it's interesting, you know, a lot of times that we get, we complicated it, but if we remember to follow the money, things become a little more clear. How interesting, isn't it? That, that phrase is probably the most relevant of all of them. Follow the money. You may not like the answer you get to, but you will get to the answer. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I want you to touch on um, this 444 page peer reviewed research paper that you spearheaded entitled COVID-19 Restoring Public Trust during a global health crisis. First of all, wow, <laughs> that is quite a piece of work, my goodness. And tell me about how this came about and what was your motivation? Um, and, then, and then can we go through the executive summary and maybe just briefly touch on those points? You said sure. that, um, that the paper that you wrote, and I assume others helped you on it, um, you are calling for formal congressional and grand jury investigations into these key topics, asymptomatic transmission, PCR testing, effective treatments for COVID, violations of federal law, inaccurate projection models, and violations of medical ethics. And, and you've touched on, on several of these already, but um, can you just maybe tell me a little bit about this paper, how it came about and those points? Yeah, and thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. Um, we. Uh, so we published our first peer-reviewed paper published in, um, in October of, uh, of 2020, and it was really dealing exclusively with the law and the violations of law. We took that paper and we drafted a, um, with the help of some really awesome attorneys, drafted a grand jury petition, a formal grand jury petition. I then reached into my pockets and paid for that grand jury petition um, to go out to literally every uh, U.S. attorney in the country. Um, so we sent out, and to the Department of Justice, we sent out well over 120 packets, uh, full packets with all the exhibits and everything. We got no response, not one response. We sent digital copies to every single one that we didn't get one response. Um, so that was really disheartening. And, uh, you know, and then we see this, this situation not slowing down. It comes up and we see, you know, the, the, the forefront is going to be legal 
action. So I said, you know, I, I'm getting contacted by a lot of attorneys rather than one, one at a time explaining them what's going on because there's so much to unpack. I talked to my research team and I said, who would be interested in authoring a paper with me so that we could support the, um, the legal actions that are on the horizon for us, you know, on, on the key aspects of this. And uh, I have worked with a lot of really awesome people, uh, all volunteer, all of us volunteering our time. And they said, yeah, let's do it. So we, um, in February, we started putting together the um, paper. And by the end of March, we had a full paper that was fully peer reviewed. And, um, and you know, we started giving that to all the attorney teams. And we, what we did was we put executive summaries on the top of them because there's so much in there to unpack in terms of the, the scope of, of information that we were able to, to investigatively research and pull together and explain. There's so much to unpack that we said, we gotta summarize this for everybody so they can orient themselves to what's going on. Um, to sum it up, uh, and my statement is that uh, we are alleging that there are incredibly rampant and significant acts of willful misconduct. Uh, on um, on the part of a number of branches of our uh, federal uh, government and at state level government as well and within public health departments and that we feel that while we're not naming any uh, one person or, or a series of people we feel it is the obligation and duty of congress we feel it is the obligation and duty of the grand of grand juries to investigate this matter fully to find out who really was involved in developing um, these rampant acts of willful misconduct. See, when you get into our history as a country, everybody's aware of the Tuskegee experiment, right? What most people don't know is that the Tuskegee experiment, there was a congressional investigation that was developed because of public pressure on it. And when the congressional investigation concluded, they put together something called the Belmont Report. The Belmont Report established that one key thing in this in, in this entire um, you know nightmare that we're we're in, and that was, it is an act of willful misconduct to knowingly withhold evidence-based treatments from people in need. See, the thing about the Tuskegee experiment wasn't just that they were experimenting on 399, really it was 600, but 399 positive cases of syphilis. In, uh, in black American men. And uh, it wasn't just that, it was that there was penicillin was available and known to be an effective treatment for over 26 years. And they didn't share that with anyone in the treatment group, in the, excuse me, in the experimental group. Um, and that's a violation of, that's a significant and a criminal violation of medical ethics to do so. So what comes out of this investigation is it's willful misconduct to knowingly withhold evidence-based treatments from people in need. And that's what we've seen here now when you, when you look at vitamin D, when you look at ivermectin, when you looked at hydroxychloroquine. Vitamin C. Vitamin C, zinc, vitamin A, zinc. Inhaled budesonide, uh, nebulized hydrogen peroxide. Iodine, uh, there's great research yeah. coming out on iodine. I mean, look, all of this whole corner, we, we have an incredible pharmacopoeia, natural and uh, pharmaceutical. We have an incredible that can handle this. And but, so why haven't people had access to it? That's an act, in our opinion, we are alleging that is an act of willful misconduct worthy of investigation. So that's the nutshell of the whole thing.
but we we wanted to especially Blake we wanted to make sure that we could explain each of these incredibly dense topics to attorneys and to elected officials so that they could understand right. the, the scope the depth of what's going on right, right. now Right. Well, and, and in writing this um, huge piece of work, you have learned and ingrained in your mind the topics and are able to soundly and confidently um, express those with the evidence in situations like today and more important situations like to um, in this grand jury investigation and and other places that you, um, you know, and in your event coming up. So um, that's super that that piece of work we i've dug into that a little bit we also have the executive summary here mm -hmm. um, that i've shared with people here at the store um and, and um so can you tell me where can people find the executive summary and the full position paper paper yeah and any other action steps you might recommend for my audience if they're yeah. interested yeah for sure so the first thing i would encourage everybody to do is to go to covidcon21.com we have all the free resources there and everything explained out. Um, one of the things that I make sure I do is everything I say, I back up. I will not make a statement that is conjecture or anything like that. If, and I am not going to ever tell anybody what to do, right? That is not my place to do it. You're not my patient. You're not my family. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, that, right. I'm not going to trample on anyone's freedom to decide right. for themselves. I just right. want to share information. Right. So um, with that being said, I'd go to COVID, uh, covidcon21.com, um, and we have a major event October 14th to 16th, so coming up this week, October 14th to 16th, it's going to be online and in person. Mm -hmm. We are yeah. anticipating being cyber attacks, so we're going to do our best with all of, all of those challenges. Mm -hmm. But it's a unique event in that when people register for the event, their dollars go to make a difference. Their dollars are going back to funding legal efforts on their behalf, funding unbiased science and funding education. We are not, we are not profiting off of this event whatsoever. And I, won't, I, I have not taken a penny off of uh, anything related to COVID. I will not take a penny off no. of anything related to COVID. I've paid my own money right. uh, for it. And I have made sure that I've, I've been, I participated in well over 100 um, positive uh, resolutions of, of COVID diagnoses, and I have not charged any person one penny, and I will not charge a person any money for, for my expertise or anything on this. I just won't do it. Great. So um, what, we, what we're doing is I would say go to the, go to the site, read through it. Um, we just published a uh, Declaration of Universal Independence that I authored with Dr. David Martin. Uh, to, uh, we just published that late last night. We have all of the grand jury information on there where you can find this paper, a link to this paper and to our previous peer-reviewed paper. And then we have free resources on how to, um, how to, how to take action uh, on your behalf in the face of mandates. Uh, and we have uh, also information on immune priming and, um, and early treatment. And each one of those pages has a video where we've recorded a free event, uh, like I was on a talk for immune priming with Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough and with um, Dr. Simone Gold from American Frontline Doctors. So we've brought, we're bringing people of prominence together who have been on these front lines, dedicating themselves, their lives. Um, risking, their, risking their livelihoods and everything. And we, we're bringing, we're, we're doing what we feel is right. We're peacefully assembling 
um, which is protected under our First Amendment, Amendment rights. We're peacefully assembling to share information from the heart for the betterment of all. We're not here to cast stones. We're not here to engage in outrage and complaining. We're not here to do anything other than our part in helping to solve this crisis and to really make sure that we're doing what's right. I want to make sure that every night I go to sleep, I can, uh, as I pray before I go to bed, that I can say to God, I did a good job today, you know, that I did what I could do to help his children, to, to protect his children, to be a part of a solution. And if that makes me a villain, then you have to really question who's calling me a villain, you know, and I think most people are smart enough to figure that kind of stuff out, um, you know. Dr. Uh, Dr. McCullough is a good man. I love that dude. I mean, we, we've developed a really strong friendship. Uh, the people in this movement, the people that I work with are good people and they have good hearts and they're doing what's right. And not one of them is making a penny off of this. We are spending our own money. We're investing our livelihoods. We're, we're investing our reputation, everything so that we can help people. And what we're asking folks to do is to have find their God courage and stand up with us, to stand up with us and do the thing that we all have the power to do, say no to what's wrong and pursue what's right, you know? And it just takes, all it takes is an act of courage of standing up. And what, we, what we're sharing with everybody is this, because I know it's scary, right? It can be scary to do so. Believe me, I get scared every day. Right. I'm not I'm not going to pretend like I'm like I'm not without fear. I'm, I, I'm, I get afraid every day when you start. It's, it's overwhelming what's coming, what we're seeing. Right. This potential. And then I stop for a minute, Blake. And I say, you know what? I have a, a choice here. I can be afraid and let that guide my decisions. Or I can find the God courage to enjoy the fight. And I know when I tap into the energy of our ancestors and I can feel them around us right now, all the brave people that sacrificed everything so that we could live freely. When I feel them around me, I know that that was the decision they made was to say, you know what? Yeah, I could choose fear. I could. But instead, I'm going to tap into the courage that God put within me. And I'm going to enjoy this fight. Because that's a yes. choice we can make too, to enjoy the fight. You yes. know, and that's what I'm do, doing. Do not be afraid, be strong and courageous, for God is with you at all times. Oh, that's so beautiful and powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I just want to um, just go back through this for my audience. Um, uh, that's a, I'm super excited about this event you're doing. I see you have a lot of amazing people on there. Dr. Peter Mercola, Dr. David Martin, who else is going Pam on? Popper, Pam Popper from Make Americans Free Again, Kevin Jenkins, huh. Urban Global Health Alliance. Uh, we have yeah. George Wentz, who may not be able to attend, uh, and some of them will not be able to attend. We're going to have people on, live, on video feeds, and we're going to have a backup just yeah. in case that something gets cyber attacked. We're, we're going to get this information mm -hmm. out. Three, right? four, five backups, right. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Tom Renz just committed to participating. I was talking with him last night, attorney Tom Renz. Um, we have uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, just one of the most brilliant minds in the entire uh, country, Senator Dennis Linthicum, mm -hmm. right? And he's going to be there live. And what I'm really excited about is he's going to talk 
about um, a lot of really incredible things and the grand jury piece. What I'm excited about is the Q&A that's gonna follow. So for everybody that's there live and for the folks that we can keep a good connection on for a um, Zoom, we're gonna have Q&A so that audience and people online can ask questions directly with these people and interact with them. And I'm really excited because this is, Senator Linthicum, I love him so much. Um, he is exactly what we should be looking for in our elected officials, a man of tremendous courage, tremendous integrity, and really um, uh, with an openness to say, yes, I want to engage with people, even the ones who disagree with me, that it's okay for us to disagree. What it's not okay is for us to, like you've been saying, Blake, be told to go and hide in a hole and never ask any questions. We have to be able to talk because what Senator Linthicum told me, and I really love this about him, he said, look, I represent everyone in my, in my senatorial district, not just the people who voted for me. I represent everyone. It is my duty as an American and as an elected official to not only uphold the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of Oregon, but to uphold what is right. And that's, to me, this guiding principle that I see starting to rise around our country. You know, this, this tapping in that something's really not right and it's not going to resolve itself by us doing nothing. It's not going to resolve itself by us saying, well, somebody else will take care of that. This is so big, so enormous, that it's going to take all of us doing our part on this, even if that part is just saying no. Yeah. Even if that part is just saying, I filed my religious exemption and they declined it. Well, I'm going to file it again. And I'm going to file it again, and I'm going to file it again and again and again and again until you realize that I don't acknowledge your authority over my faith. Right. Right. There, that is between me and God. There, that is our relationship. That is between you and your creator by whatever name you choose. That is special. It is sacred. And there is no governance. There is no person that has the right to intrude on that relationship. Right. And yeah. that's that's to me what we're what we're protecting yeah. right now more yeah. than anything else. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. And and just well, very well said. And um, so, yes, this COVID conference 21 solution summary in Live Oak, California, mm -hmm. October 14th through 16th. And this is available online and in person. Mm -hmm. And as you say, in that the idea is to bring everyone together and the proceeds will go to fund unbiased science, education, and expert legal action to protect your freedom. And I will get this link to covidcon21.com and I'll send it out with this video. Nice. Um, and I also just want to I did a little time, spent a little time on your Energetic Health Institute website yesterday, mm -hmm. and that looks amazing. The program you guys offer and the degrees you guys offer, um, it just looks amazing. I wanted to talk more about that, but maybe another time. Um, yeah, sure, another time is, would, be, yeah. would be great. But that's another, that's a great resource. EnergeticHealthInstitute.org is a great resource for people to go who are interested, who see that the writing's on the wall. I have to be a part of my own rescue, and that starts with making sure I stay in good health. We are we pride ourselves on our students graduating healthier than when they began, no matter how healthy they were. And we fulfill that mission in every single graduate. 
It's something we do not compromise on. And I can tell you, Blake, it's exciting working with good people, with good hearts who really care 24 seven. My team, I love them. My team has been with me for most of them for, you know, five plus years. And I know something about people. They stay involved with a business with when they believe in what it's doing. And, uh, you know, so it's really my honor and privilege to work with all of these incredible people. Our students are amazing. Um, it's just, it's a place where you can go and feel good again about yeah. life and what's yeah. going on in the world. So thank yeah. you for bringing uh, that up. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I totally relate to that here with our work at Nature's Pantry, too. We, mm. we believe in what we do here with our whole hearts. And, you know, it's not about making money, because if it was about that, we probably would do something else. Right. Um, but but yeah, we we love to see people to actually make a positive impact in people's health right. and help them, you know, learn themselves and how to get in touch with their own bodies and and improve. Because, you know, the thing is, we want to be able to fulfill our God given potential to the maximum capacity possible. And we can't do that if we're not healthy and we're not vibrant. And so, you know, if. And that's the thing, too, is if we're not feeling well, we get kind of self-focused. Right. And it's hard not to be like you have to be for survival. Yeah. But um, but when you're feeling good, you have the ability to serve people, to love people fully, to, yeah. to you know, and to to be the maximum potential of what I can be, because that's the best thing I can do for other people is to fulfill my own potential and be the best I can be myself. Um, that's so well said, man. Can I just say this? And this is. I've been teaching on this more the last few weeks, and I think it's important for everybody to hear. Mm -hmm. We have a phrase in our, in our language that is the most powerful, magical phrase of all, and it is, I love you. Like, when I hear you, what you're saying and what you're doing, when I see the sincerity in your heart and all that you're doing, um, when you're like, look, I am going to do everything I can and find my payment comes in the smiles and the joy. It's not in the commas and the decimal points, you know, it's in something far greater than all that. It makes me feel like I love what you're doing. And because you're doing it, it's easy for me to say this. And we cast these spells. We cast these spells of protection over each other. We cast this wonderful blessing of, uh, on, upon each other. And that is, I love you. I mean that. I love you. I love you for what you're doing. And it's something that we have to start being more open and comfortable with saying to each other. All of us that are on the right side of history, we have to be more comfortable now saying to each other, our mantra, our, our call phrase isn't going to be never again or something angry. It's going to be, I love you. I love you for what you're doing. I'm grateful to you for what you're doing. May God continue to bless you in all your endeavors and what you're doing, because what you're doing is right. It is good. And we know because people are feeling better because of you. This is special. So oh, I love you, my brother. Thank yes. you so much for what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for that encouragement. It really means the world to me. And I love you too, brother. And I know we just we just really met, but there's that connection, you know, that it's it's a deep one that we we can relate and connect on a deep level um, in a spiritual way. And just knowing that, um, you know, we're doing what we're called to do yes. right now. Yes. OK, so just in closing, um, what final thoughts do you have for of encouragement for my audience 
and to leave with us? Um, and are there any things you might say to help people boost their immune system? Sure. Let's let's tackle that reverse. So to boost your immune system, I'm never going to tell you what to do, but I am going to tell you there's information available to you on covidcon21.com. And I'm going to encourage you to discuss that with your medical professionals and your family. And remember that you have the right to make the decision. The final decision is you, not the medical professional, not your family. It's you. So maintain your right to make that decision, but make sure it's an informed decision always, right? And then I support you, whatever decision you make. Um, in terms of advice, I think it comes back to, you know, we have a choice to make right now. Do we want to continue to be guided and, and really misled by fear? Or do we want to make the other choice to engage our God courage, our creator courage, you know, if, if God isn't the right word for you, I don't, you know, don't get caught up on, on words, people get caught up on energy. The energy of it is, if your creator has put courage into you, that you have a choice, that you have an ability to, to access it. So what I would say is, whenever you feel afraid, whenever you're feeling down we all we're all every day come on every day we feel this it's not hard to flip through telegram or go on computer and get some it's going to take you down in that moment identify that you have a choice to have that energy and what you're feeling guide you which is negative or to stop it for a second and say hold no i'm going to enjoy the fight I see what they're doing and I'm going to enjoy the fight. There's a little bit of cuckoo you got to have upstairs. Okay. To get through this thing, right? You got to have a little bit of cuckoo in you. Okay. And when you do it, you know, if you ever watch Braveheart, you know, you know, the best character for this is Steven, right? You know, you know, when Steven, the, the protector for, for Mel Gibson's character in there, he's like, yeah, you, you got to have a little Steven rumbling around in your noodle. Okay. All right. You got to have him, especially right now. He'll get you through. Okay. But it'll give you that courage in the moment to say no, when something is wrong, to do what's right when you see it. And it'll give you that courage to stand up once. And then once you stand up once, it's going to feel real good. And once you stand up once and it feels real good, you're going to want to stand up again. And then something magical is going to happen. People around you are going to see you standing up. And when they see you standing up, they're going to go, yeah, I can stand up too. And it becomes this wonderful wave of positive energy that you create because you did something decadent. In the face of fear, you stood in courage. I, I encourage you to explore and have that experience because once you have that experience, it will be intoxicating for all the right reasons and you'll want to do it again and again and again. And that cuckoo side will come out and you'll want to do it again. And you'll see that you don't have to be violent to produce massive change in our world. Right. You just have to be loving yes. to do it. Right. Yeah. So that would be my thing to say to your audience. And I would encourage everybody to join us at covidcon21.com. The Oct October 14th online is free. We've set that up so that you can watch for free on October 14th. Again, fingers crossed, right? Because cyber attacks are real. But even if there's, if, even, here's my promise to everyone. Even if we get cyber attacked and we can't overcome it, we are recording the entire event you will get this information. That is my promise to every single person there. I, when I give my word on something, I carry it all the way through. I'm one of those nut jobs, okay? When I give my word on something, it's gonna happen. So this is what COVIDCon is about, bringing people together to do what's right. 
And mm. Blake, thank you so much for oh, love this it. platform to share this with your audience. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that event. And I'll send out the details um, of that event, covidcon21.com, covidconference. 21 Solution Summer, and I'll send that out. I also remind you of, if you want to learn more about Dr. Ely and uh, Energetic Health Institute, go is it energetichealthinstitute.org. Yeah, dot org. org. Mm -hmm. And I'll send that link out too. So again, thank you so much for all you do and for being here as a guest. It was, what a great show, great interview. Um, you know, God bless you and thank you so much. Yeah, God bless you and God bless everyone who has goodness in their heart so that they can tap into that courage that they possess. We can do this, folks. We, we've got this. We just have to stand up. We've got this. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Mm -hmm.